0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have to come and study your word together. We ask, O Lord, that you please be with us, that you'd guide us with your spirit, that you'd lead us into all truth, and help us, O Lord, to understand these most precious and important words that you've stored up for us today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The parable that we'll be studying this evening is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we're continuing from the few weeks ago when we studied it because um, it's in the same chapter. It's in the same book. And this chapter and book, it, continues, it contains actually quite a few parables. But we are going to get right into the parable right now. Let's read Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So the parable begins with a man who went out and sowed good seed in his field, but what happened? While he was sleeping, an enemy would come and sow tares amongst all the wheat, amongst all the good seed that had been sown there already. And straight away, we need to define a few things here already. Who is this man and his enemy? And also, what does the good seed and the, the bad seed, the tares, represent? You know, it's important to let the Bible define itself before we jump to conclusions. Why? Because, you see, this is not what you think it is if you had followed from the previous parable that we studied. The pre- previous parable that we studied, parable, pardon me, that we studied, the seed was the word of God. But it is not so here. That's why context is so important. This is why we need to let the Bible define itself. And so it's correct. It's correct for that parable, but this one already is different to, pardon me, let's go to Matthew chapter 13 verses 37 to 38. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So the man who sows this good seed, who is that? That's the son of man. That is Jesus. The Bible says there that the field is the world. And the good seed, they are the children of the kingdom. Now, obviously, that is God's people on earth, not in heaven, because the seed is sown in the field, which represents the earth, right? And lastly, the tares or the weeds, they represent the children of the wicked one. And we know that that wicked one can only be referring to one being, one person, that is the devil and Satan. So right away, we see a split, a division of the earth. It's Christ versus the devil. It's the two groups, those that are of Christ and those that are of the devil. But let's keep reading, shall we? Let's continue on in Matthew 13, verses 26 to 28. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? So, friends, as the good seed grows and finally it comes to full maturity or or begins to show signs of, of bearing fruit, the servants are shocked because they see weeds that are growing up amongst them. And so they ask the master, how come there's weeds? And he points to the enemy who did it. However, the servants, they're ready to go in and separate out each other, the the, the good seed from the bad seed, the wheat from the weeds or the tares. Why? Because they want to make sure that the wheat can grow up properly. But before they can make a move, what does the Master say? Matthew 13, 29-30 But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. You see, the master says, Don't root up. All the weeds. Yes, they're bad, but don't root them up yet. Why? In case while you root them out, while you take them out, all those all those good seed where, where the roots have already been intertwined, they might also be rooted out as well. So what was his suggestion? He said, Leave it there until the harvest. And it's then that he would send reapers into his field and separate the two types of plants that have been growing there. The weeds, they would be bundled together and then be burnt, and the wheat would be gathered where? Into his barn. So friends, what does the harvest and the reapers represent? Well, in Matthew 13 and verse 39, the Bible says this, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. You see, the harvest represents the end of the world, the second coming, and even the third coming. Yes, the Bible actually talks about a third coming in the book of Revelation, where they would eventually then be burned or thrown into the lake of fire. The reapers, well, he clearly defines it. It is the angels of God. Now, look, the main point of our focus in this parable is the wheat and the tares. It is the two groups of people that are currently living on this earth before Jesus comes for a second time. So what is the difference between the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one? This one affects us. This is all about us. Maybe it is identifying, well, I shouldn't say maybe. It is definitely identifying which group we belong to. So let's have a look at the children of the kingdom versus the children of the devil or of the world or those wheat, uh, pardon me, those tares. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, talking about the children of the kingdom. Matthew 18 verse 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you see that, friends? The children of the kingdom, they are those that are truly converted. What does it mean to be converted? Well, before we answer that question, let's have a quick look at the children of the world or of that wicked one. Let's read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 John three ten. the Bible says this, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Did you see that, friends? The children of the devil are those that don't do righteousness. Notice that key word there, doeth. That word doeth is an action word. Outwardly, you can see the differences between these two groups of people. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to scratch your head. Somehow, we know that as we look at this, we see it's opposite, the children of the wicked one, compared to the children of the kingdom. One, they are converted. The other, they don't do righteousness. So meaning, if you are truly converted, if you truly are part of the kingdom of the children of the kingdom, then it is something to do with righteousness, something also to do with your actions. It's not just a state of mind, but the change in the heart and mind, yes, it will lead to a change in actions as well. A reminder, I don't believe that we're saved by works. But a person who thinks that they're converted, that they're changed, that they are experiencing righteousness and living a righteous life is not just in here, but it's also actions that are evidence on the outside for themselves to see and even for others to see as well. So there is a difference in actions. The children of God, they are different in their actions to the children of the wicked one, the devil. One is converted and they are doing righteousness. The other is not. They are not experiencing true righteousness. But let's go back to the parable, Matthew 13, 28 and 29. Look at this. He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. You see, friends, Jesus asks them to leave the weed with the wheat, the tares with the wheat. Why? You see, he did not want them rooted out. So, friends, at the beginning, the two groups of people, they can't be separated. Jesus says, leave them there till the harvest. Why? Why? Maybe because you can't tell the difference. Maybe in pulling up one, you might pull out the other. Or thinking that that's a weed, that you pull up the wheat. He says, leave them there until the harvest. Remember, the harvest is the end of the world. This is at the second coming, when Jesus will finally separate the two groups of people. That means tares will exist in our world today and even... In the church, they won't be separated until the very end. The servants wanted to go and pluck them out. What was the reason that the master gave? Look, you could pull out the wheat with it as well. You see that their roots could be so intertwined with each other that to pluck one out, you may accidentally loosen the soil around the wheat and pull it out as well. You see, friends, our lives are so interconnected with each other. For, for the better or for the worse, even with the wicked people and so with the good, our lives are connected. Even in the same family, in the same household, in the same church, they could exist good and bad together. And today, if God were to pluck out a loved one out of the church or of our family or of this world, how would that affect us? How would that affect our faith? I mean if God said to us just trust me just trust me he was a bad one I mean how would we react because we we don't know we can't read god uh, people's hearts like god can right and that would be really a great leap of faith and so god allows that that these two groups to grow together until the very end, when their fruits are very obvious, when no one has to second guess, no one has to scratch their heads and wonder, no one has to trust God only, we will will be able to see it with our very own eyes. And so really, it must be difficult for God to have to wait until the end of the world to separate between the good and the bad. Why? Because he, he knows the people's fates. He knows their hearts. He's doing their very best to say them all, but he has no other choice. He can read our hearts, but we can't. And so for our sake, he has to wait. He has to wait until the harvest. Sometimes we think, oh, poor me. We're living in a wicked world. God, when? God, when? But God says, look, I've been waiting longer than you, my son and daughter. I've been waiting much longer. And Jesus is still waiting to come today. But he's got to wait so that every man and every woman's work can be made manifest. So at the end, there's no doubting as to why this person was saved and why this person was lost. But let's continue, shall we? I have a question for you. Why is it so important to wait until the wheat, I mean the harvest time, to separate the wheat and the tares. You see, it is at the harvest that the fruit is finally mature. It is finally ripe and ready to go. Look, in James chapter 5 and verse 7, notice how the Bible talks about the harvest. James 5 verse 7, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. God is represented by that husbandman who has to wait for for the fruit to become fully ripe. It's then that these two groups will be separated. It's then that everyone will be able to tell what sort of fruit they have. At the beginning, No one knows the type of fruit. You have to have patience. You got to wait to allow it to develop. And then at the end, there will be no argument as to what fruit that plant bears. It will be obvious to everyone. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, the Bible says, Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Jesus tells us that we can know a person by their fruits. We can know what they are like on the inside by looking at the outside. But you see, Jesus doesn't stop there in Matthew 7.20 when He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work. What iniquity! You see, friends, this passage shows that there are even people in the church that seem to appear like they're destined for heaven. They're on the road to heaven. Whoa, they come to church every week. They are definitely saved. But even then, even then, even though, even though they do many wonderful works, they preach, they teach, they heal, they do so many wonderful things. But yet Jesus says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, friends, remember, the, ch- the children of the kingdom are those that do righteousness. It is opposite to those that are the children of the devil. The children of the kingdom, they are converted. And in Matthew 7, 21, it says that they do the will of God. That means, friends, doing the will of God is more than just going to church once a week, every week, participating in church worship, or even maybe you're you're going to church and you're leading out in church worship. And God is saying, Jesus is telling us that righteousness is more than that. Well, what is the will of God? What does it mean to be converted? How can we do the will of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible tells us this, For this is the will of God, even your what? Your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Friends, what is the will of God? It is our sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified or to do his will, to do sanctification? What does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. John chapter 17 and verse 17. How are we sanctified? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are sanctified by the truth, the word of God. So, the experience of sanctification has to do with the Word of God. Where do we begin? Well, remember Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But those that are sanctified, yes, we got to begin with hearing. But those that are sanctified, they don't just hear, they also do the will of God. Friends, what does it mean to be converted? They're not just hearers of the Bible, but they're doers of it as well. You see, a non-converted person can hear what is right, but they only listen. And they're not converted, they're not changed, they don't do it. They just hear, and they maybe do a small part of it. But look, don't get me wrong. Does God want us to go to church? Is going to church important Yes, that's an action as well. A, a righteous person will be found in church, worshipping God each week and fellowshipping with the saints. That is important, yes, but it's not all our experience. Do you understand that? Many of us, we sum up the bane the, the of our Christian experience into just going to church once a week. That one, two, three hours a week that we spend at church. But that's not enough. The question is, friends, how do you live outside of those hours being at church? What we do outside of church is equally important or maybe more important because there's more hours that we spend outside of church than actually being in church, right? I mean, the, those people that thought they did the will of God, they were preaching, they were teaching, they were healing, they were doing all these good things, but you know, they, they isolated their Christian experience to just one point in a week not forgetting there's another six and a half days elsewhere that God still wants you to live for them, for him, pardon me. And so, no, sitting at church doesn't just define our Christian experience, but hey, not being at church is also showing a lot about where your sanctification experience is as well. So that is important, but it's not the whole picture. The other six and a half days, what are you doing? How are you living your life? Are you living a life of victory? Are you living a life that God wants you to live? Are you doing the things that He wants you to do? Are you speaking the words that He wants you to speak? How are you living the other six and a half days apart from just going to church? Does God want us to go to church? Yes, it's important, but it's not the be-all and end-all of our Christian experience. So friends, can we know what our fruit is today? What is it? How are we able to tell? In James chapter 1 and verses 22 to 25, let's read this. James 1, 22 to 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Look at this. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continues looking, continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but what a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his deed. You see, friends, We got to look at God's mirror, His law, and not just once, not just twice. We're going to continue looking at it every day. We got to compare Scripture with our lives to see if our lives are in harmony with what the Bible teaches. For example, look, you can look at the Ten Commandments and it tells us not to steal. And then use that and look at it, reflect it in your own life. Are you stealing? That's the question we can ask ourselves. And if we are, the Bible calls us a weed, a tear, not a wheat, not the good seed. He calls us the bad seed, the children of that wicked one. And you see, this is the thing. There's hope. We can change. We can be converted. Yes, physically is not possible in the natural world to go from a tear, a weed, to a wheat. But God can god can change us the biggest challenge that we always face is recognizing whether we are a children of the wicked one or not there'll be many people matthew 7 already told us there'll be many people at the end of time thinking that they were on the way to heaven but they were so short that when they get there happily rejoicing jesus like i don't know you who are you you workers of iniquity it is possible to go to church Week in and week out and still live the life of a perfect sinner. Still live the life of someone who is yoked to the world and to the devil. It's not enough just to go to church. But remember, I keep saying this, going to church is important. I'm a pastor. you got to go to church. Very important. But don't sum up your whole Christian experience into just church going. Neither Get rid of church as well and go the opposite extreme. We need all the good works that we can crowd into our lives. God has to change us fully, not just partially. Some of us, we're we're a saint for two hours, but then we live the other rest of the how many hours we have in a week like the devil. That's not good enough. God wants us to be converted in our hearts and our minds. And conversion isn't forcing yourself to do good works. No, that's not it. Conversion is not, hey, look, I'm doing good works. I must be converted. No, because remember, in Matthew 7, they were all teaching and preaching. They were healing. They were, you know, they were doing many wonderful works, seemingly. But yet Jesus still said, I don't know you. Why? Because they weren't doing the will of God. We have to look at the step before the actions. Actions are important, but it only takes us so far. If we discover that we've fallen short, that we are the children of the wicked one today, how can we be converted then? Let's go to another Bible text, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, friends, we must be transformed. We must be changed. We must be converted by what? The renewing of your mind. That's where it begins. It's in the mind that this transformation has to take place. And only then we can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. What else? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do you see that, friends? In order to be created in righteousness, which is after God and in true holiness, We got to allow God to put off that old man of sin first. We got to be willing to renounce the ways of the world. What's that called? That's called confession. That's called repentance. That's called surrendering your life to Jesus because He's the only one that can do it for us. So before we can make any type of change in our lives, we got to put off that former conversation, the, the old behaviors of life. But then it said, what? Do you remember? It says there in verse 23, we must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. This is where true conversion takes place. And only as our mind is changed, then do our actions begin to change. The drunkard drinks no more. The smoker stops smoking. The wife beater becomes now a loving husband. Not because he's been threatened, not because some calamity has happened to him, but because God has been working in this person's heart and in their mind. But friends, how can we be transformed in our mind today? How? What must take place? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does the Bible say? Even as we behold the glory of God, we're going to be changed into the same image from glory to glory. Friends, where where is God's glory found? How can we behold that glory today? In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, if we are to behold God's glory today, where can we behold it? It is found in the Word that became flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. We got to behold Him. And not behold the world. The more we behold Him, the faster we'll be changed into His image, into His glory, into His character, into His likeness. The faster we'll have His mind. The faster we'll have His habits. The faster we'll have His desires and His purposes. The faster we will enjoy spiritual things. But how do we do that? How do we behold the character of Jesus? John five thirty nine. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Friends, we got to spend time in the Bible. We got to take time to spend in this book that gives us a clear representation of who Jesus is. We got to, or else church experience becomes torture to us. Some people have said, oh, going to church is like taking the roll call. I just got to turn up. You see, God, I'm here. Don't forget. Don't you look down. Don't, don't, don't forget that I was here, okay? And, and we try to really win our way to heaven by going to church. But even church, if we're not spending time in the Word of God on a weekly basis, on a day-by-day basis, not a weekly basis only, but on a day-by-day basis, if we aren't spending time in the Word of God, Church is going to become torture to us. Preaching? Never. Healing? No. Unless you're only a doctor by by, by profession and that's it. Right? Doing good works? It won't happen, friends. Those sort of things don't come naturally to us. We got to be transformed. The only way we can be transformed? We got to behold Jesus in his word. Well... Maybe you're saying this evening or or today, hey, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I read the Bible. I spend time with Jesus. I've been reading the Bible for many years. I read through the Bible every year or, you know, whatever it is. You you go to church and you're studying the Bible. You're paying attention in church. You're listening to the preacher. But yet somehow you're not seeing corresponding change in the other six and a half days of which you live your life outside of church. Why? What could be the problem? Why is it that it seems like my actions are not changing? What's the missing ingredient? Well, in Galatians 5, and 23, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The reason why many of our characters are not changed is not because we're just, oh, I'm I'm not reading the Bible or or because I don't want to be at church. You know, maybe some some of us, we, we sincerely enjoy going to church. We know the importance of going to church. We desire to go to church, but yet somehow our lives just aren't changing. We aren't showing the fruits of the Spirit in our life. The Spirit is missing. The Spirit that gives us all these good desires and the good actions, and the good words, and a good life. Yes, many of us, we read the Bible, but we are still missing the Holy Spirit. Look, we do receive a measure of the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. The Bible says in Ephesians six seventeen, Take the sword of the Spirit, it's the Word of God. So does the Holy Spirit work through the Bible? Yes, but it's not enough just to read the Bible. What else are we missing? Let's go to Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? What are many people missing? The experience of asking God. The experience of prayer. You know, you look at the result. Look what happens when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is not something you got to force. Yes, it takes some cooperation and effort on our behalf. But the power that is given to us is holy from God. Look at what happens when a person has the Holy Spirit abiding in them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we are walking in the Spirit... The way we live will be different. Let's also go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Only it is through the Holy Spirit that we can mortify, that we can kill those bad works, those bad deeds that we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's liberty, friends, only as the Holy Spirit abides in us, and as we cherish His Word, that the, the change becomes more effectual in our lives. And maybe some of you, you've been Christians for a long time. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you've been, you, you, you've been going to church all your life. yet somehow something is still missing. There's been family worship, there's been you reading the Bible, but friends, maybe you are missing the most important ingredient, and that is prayer. Asking God for His Spirit. Yes, the Word is important, but we got to pray as well. We got to. We got to take time to build our faith. And so many of us, We have not spent that time. We've not received Christ into our hearts. We've not surrendered our lives to Him. But we got to. We must spend time with God to allow Him to work in each of our lives. It's not enough just to go to church, friends. You know, what the Bible tells us to do when you read the Bible, when you read the Ten Commandments, it seems like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. But as you pray, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it and so if all you do is spend time in the word of God and you're not spending time in prayer all you're doing is receiving more and more words of instruction of what you got to do and what you shouldn't do and then you can't do it unless the Holy Spirit is living in your life do you see that friends have you received Jesus into your hearts today have you surrendered your life to him Have you been asking for the Holy Spirit, which is the life of Christ in each of us because Jesus can't literally physically do it. He's up in heaven interceding for us, praying for us. But the Holy Spirit can. Have you been praying for the Holy Spirit to dwell with you, to be in you, to change you and transform you? It's the working of this mighty power that can change a person completely that old things are passed away, that, behold, all things are become new. Friends, this is the difference between the wheat and the tares at the end of time. Look, there are some truly wicked people that maybe you look at them, no doubt, they're lost. There's They murdered 100 people you know, they've been in prison more than and been outside of it, or whatever it is, you know, we, we, we look at the world and sometimes we jump to a conclusion, thinking, that definitely, that, that definitely, that person is a wicked person. But if we want to be in that other category, the children of the kingdom, it's not just identifying all those bad people. It's about having the power to change. That power to change our life from a bad person to not so bad but more righteous, to be fully converted. You might not be a murderer. You might just be a liar. And it's not a big sin. But friends, it's a sin nonetheless that will keep us out of heaven. And God says, unless you be like little children and be converted like them, have the simple faith just like them, you're going to come infinitely short of heaven. Today, I want to encourage you to go back to the Word. Go back to prayer. Maybe you haven't seen the importance of it yet because your life doesn't seem so bad. But just pause for a moment. Because maybe we are like that Pharisee who's praying so loudly, God, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that publican who does all these bad things. I do all these good things, but Jesus says all those good things mean nothing unless you are fully converted because even one spot can stain your whole life. All Adam and Eve did was just eat a fruit. All Samson did was just let his hair get cut. Are you with me? Sometimes it's not those murderers like Moses and King David, but it's those little sins that we commit that end up up keeping us out of heaven. But today, friends, I want to be totally and fully Christ's. Not just to know what we should do, but to have the power to do it as well. Not just to try to live like Jesus on earth, but truly to have His Holy Spirit live in us so that we can truly live that life on this earth today. That we can have an assurance of our salvation today because Jesus is with us and living through each and every one of us. Let's spend more time in His Word, friends. Let's spend more time in prayer than ever before. For truly, we are living in the last days. We are living in dangerous times, if you've not noticed for the past one and a half years. This time is unusual. And so, our walk with God must be unusual as well. Unusually more committed. Unusually longer. Unusually more in prayer. Then God can live in us, through us, and empower us to be called sons and daughters of God today. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, you desire so much to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. It's the best gift that you can give us, and yet we've not been treasuring it. Lord, please forgive us. Help us not to to neglect this gift any longer. Help us to ask for your Holy Spirit. Help us to allow you to write your laws in our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus. Help us because we cannot help ourselves. Lord, you promised the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And so now we're asking. Please, Father, give us your Holy Spirit today. Write your words upon our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask.